You know, as I think about 10 years of a church, we are, as elders, we're trying to get together right now, begin planning what does it look like for us to celebrate 10 years as a church. Like, we are now in, in almost in double digits. We take all 10 fingers unless you're a pirate and you have less. But we've got 10 years coming up, and uh, I'm excited to celebrate 10 years. And as I was thinking about 10 years of a church, I was thinking about, man, that's 10 years of walking through life with people. And I will say over these 10 years, we've walked through life uh, some hard things with people in life. As a pastor, uh, we've walked through the ups and downs. Uh, I will say I've been present at hospitals when uh, families uh, have been through uh, a car accident. Uh, families have gone through surgery when they find out they've had cancer. As a pastor, I've been present in those moments. Uh, I've been present and prayed over families who are worried over the direction their kids are going as their kids look like they're going off the deep end. I've been there present and prayed with families uh, and couples as their marriage was on the rocks. Hey, we don't know if we're going to survive this. Been tried to be present in those moments. Uh, I have been present when families have, have lost loved ones, such as Dan and Joy, and uh, there are some hard times. But I will say when I think about the past 10 years, as much of the hard times we've been in, I love being a part of the good times as well. And we've had a lot of good times here as a, 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 in the church uh, that I've been able to walk through life. I love being able to celebrate salvations. I love having families come and say, hey, our child wants, has placed their faith in Jesus. I love baptisms. Baptisms are one of my favorite things we do as a church. I love child dedications. That is probably one of my favorite things to bring the child up and kind of be like Mufasa and hold the child up. And ah, I love those things. And, and one of the other things I've loved to do as a pastor is I love to be a part of weddings. And no, I'm not trying to tell you to get married because I love doing them. I just have loved being a part of weddings. And, and as, as couples come and say, hey, Kevin, would you marry us? Would you marry our children, whatever it happens to be? Here's what I tell them. I say, okay, listen, couple, your job, your job is to prepare for the ceremony. So husband, wife, a guy, girl, you guys prepare for the ceremony. My job is to help you prepare for the marriage, right? So we do some marriage counseling, and we talk through some stuff on how to, how to have a good marriage. And uh, what's funny is oftentimes we have these skewed views of what marriage really is. Like, you know, the girl will come in and be like, oh, I can't, actually, this is real, okay? This, this is real, okay, right? Because Hollywood tells us to look for Mr. and Mrs. Right, right? The, the person that's gonna complete me, right? Well, I had this girl come in, and, and, I, and I said, okay, well, tell me why you're excited to get married. And this is straight up her answer. He's gonna be my knight in shining armor. He's gonna meet all my needs, and check this out, He's going to know what I want without me ever saying it. I'm like, that's okay. Good for you. All right. And I, and I turn to her fiance, and I'm like, what are you excited to get married? Uh, why are you excited to get married? And he, and this is his, again, this is his response. I'm excited to get married because we'll have physical intimacy whenever we want. Now, we have this idea that, that getting married and having a kids and having family, we have this picture, and maybe it's because Hollywood paints it that way, that if you just find the right one, it's all cupcakes and rainbows and unicorns and happiness. And I will say marriage is a gift. It is a gift from God, and as awesome as marriage is, it is not all cupcakes and unicorns. It takes hard work. It can be difficult at times. And why is that? Well, because marriage was never designed to complete you. 
I mean, do, do, like, do we understand marriage was never meant to, to be the thing that satisfies, satisfies you? And again, our, 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 our world has this skewed. Our world says we're looking for this perfect spouse, and she's going to be the, the perfect person for me, and she's going to make me satisfied. But here's the thing. Like, a spouse is never designed to, to satisfy you. Marriage was not created for your happiness. If you want happiness, get a puppy, right? That's not what marriage was designed to do. And again, the culture carries this idea, hey, just find the one. Let's just be honest. How many of us have that friend? We've got that friend. And I can think of several people in, in our circle where this one happened to be a female, but she's like, you know what? I just need a man to make me happy. And if I just get the husband, then I will be satisfied. I will be fulfilled. Life will be complete. And she marries the guy and realizes, you know, he's not perfect. He doesn't know what she wants before she says it. She gets a little frustrated. It gets hard. And so then it's like, I must not got the right one. So she sets that one aside and goes find another one. And another one. And another one. And I've got this friend that's been through, uh, she's on her fourth marriage, looking for what's going to satisfy her. She hasn't got the hint. Hey, maybe, maybe marriage is not where you're going to be satisfied. Maybe your ultimate satisfaction comes from beyond marriage. Or another example, there was uh, years ago when I worked at Madison House, our very first year at summer camp, uh, we're talking with this 18-year-old girl. And this is a girl that had a lot of trauma in her background. Her dad was abusive. Uh, her mom was usually in and out of her life dealing with her own addictions and her own issues. And I remember talking to this girl, and she said, Kevin, if I could just have a baby, if I could just have a baby, then I would finally feel loved. Now, I don't know about you, but I think about kids, and, I, and as much as I love kids, and as much as you think kids are going to be wonderful, but you don't think about the sleepless nights. You don't think about uh, the, the, the blowout diapers. You don't think of, and those are just my teenagers, right? Like, you don't think about those things with kids. Kids, they're not designed to make you feel loved. That's not their purpose. And if we look for them to complete us, we're putting a weight on them that they were never created to fulfill. See, here's that thing, though. We have this longing inside of us for, to feel complete, to feel satisfied, to have the good life. I mean, Jesus talks about this feeling we have deep within us. In John 15, Jesus says, I came to give you life, and not just regular life, I came to give you life abundant, where you are satisfied, where you are fulfilled. But here's the thing, that life, that, that fulfillment, that abundant life, you're not going to primarily find it in marriage or from kids or from your money or your accomplishments. Now, that abundant life is found when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is why when I begin this marriage counseling process, I, I tell couples, hey, if you want that abundant life, you want to be fulfilled, you want to be satisfied in life, You've got to get the right priorities. You've got to have your priorities straight. The first priority has got to be God. God is above everything else. God has got to be your number one. Your second priority is your spouse. Your third priority is your family, your kids. And your fourth priority is everything else. That's your work, your hobbies, your, your extended family. All those other things fall underneath that. And whenever we get these priorities out of order, we're heading towards trouble. We're heading for dissatisfaction and frustration. 
We've got to be, if we're looking for that abundant life, that fulfillment, we've got to have our priorities straight. So this month, we're in a series that we're calling Priorities, trying to talk about the new year, trying to get our priorities straight, get our ducks in a row, uh, analyzing where we are in life right now. Last week, we set the foundation, and, and we said very clearly that the very first priority above everything else is we first and foremost, we have to prioritize God and his kingdom. And it doesn't matter how good we are at prioritizing our family or our marriage or our finances or anything else. If we get number one wrong, if we get that primary foundation of God wrong, man, we're going to be bound to to struggle. So number one, we've got to make sure our priority, we're prioritizing first and foremost God and his kingdom. But today we're going to talk about prioritizing marriage. And some of these principles in marriage are going to extend to family as well. And the question is, in marriage, what do we prioritize? There's a lot of things. There's a lot of answers for how to make your marriage work. And we're going to look at the Word of God to say, God, what would you tell us to prioritize within our marriage? Now, let me say this. A couple ground rules for this message. Okay, number one, if you're sitting next to your spouse, okay, no elbows. No, get them out right now. Just, Just elbow them right now. Get it out right now, okay? All right? You are not here to hear what your spouse needs to do. You're here because God wants to speak to you, all right? If you get in the car and you're like, hey, honey, did you hear what he said up there today? Listen, you will ruin everything the Holy Spirit did in your spouse by trying to do that. Listen, your spouse may be the worst, but today God is speaking to you to do your part well. And this is where I'm saying you've got to focus on you and trust God to do the work and your spouse and the other people around you. Second grand rule. You're coming in, you're like, dude, I'm not married. Dude, I can't even get a girlfriend. What are you talking? I don't have kids. Man, this is a message I'm going to check out. I'm just going to go play uh, Wordle on my phone or whatever it happens to be. Listen, don't check out today. If you're young, you're not married, you don't have, don't, do not check out. Because marriage is so significant for us as Christians. Because marriage was given to us by God as a picture. Marriage is a picture of the way that God feels towards us. It is a picture of faith. So we need to grasp what marriage, this is why, this is why marriage is such a big deal to Christians. Because it's a picture of, of, of God's relationship with us. So we need to understand that, that, that Jesus is like that bride. No, Jesus is like the groom, And we're the bride. He chooses us. He commits to us. He promises never to leave us. So you need to understand how marriage works because it's going to help you understand your faith. Additionally, if you're not married, you're not not there yet, uh, you're going to learn some some principles, some priorities today that become a foundation for your future. You're like, hey, sometime down the road, if God helps me to meet somebody, I'd love to get married. Listen, you've got to learn some of these principles because they're going to make you that much stronger. And lastly, some of these principles, as we get to the very end, we're going to understand they, uh, uh, they will extend to other relationships as well. And so, listen, this is for every one of us today. Now, normally, as I teach a passage, normally what we do is I open up the scriptures, and I'm like, all right, here's everything this passage has to say. And then I try and come to the end of the message, and I'm like, all right, here's the summary of this message. Here's the big idea. Here's the takeaway. I'm going to flip the script, and we're going to go backwards today. I'm going to start by telling you, hey, here's the summary of this message. 
And then I'm going to take the rest of the time to explain it. So here it is. Write this down. Uh, this is what you need to say the message is about. Here's, here it is. Our relationships will be fruitful when we prioritize our responsibilities rather than our rights. All right? Did you hear that? You want your marriage to be success. You want your family relationship to be fruitful. We've got to be people who prioritize our responsibilities rather than our rights. I know you're saying, well, what does that mean? What are my rights? What are my responsibilities? I'm glad you asked. All right? See, our human nature is that we are all self-centered. Anybody spouse self-centered? Anybody in here self-spent? We all should be raising our hand. Our human nature is, is to be self-centered. It starts when we're born. When we're born, we're not thinking about anybody else. No, we're thinking about me. I need my diaper changed. I'm hungry. I'm tired. I'm bored. Whatever it happens to be. And as we grow up, man, we continue just being consumed with ourselves. It's this sin nature within us that we are, are selfish. We look out for number one. We look out for our rights. Now, what happens, we grow up, and the world's mentality, the way the culture tells us to operate in work, in, in marriage, in family, whatever else it happens to be, is all those things are there to serve me. We look at marriage, and we're like, hey, I want to get married to this person because she is going to make me better. She's going to make me happy. She's going she's to fulfill these things within me. And we look at our spouse to meet some needs that we have. Those are our rights. And so we come into marriage and we feel like we, we deserve these things. Like, hey, you're supposed to be, you know, we're supposed to have physical intimacy. Like you need to, that's, you're there for me to, to fulfill that. Or we look at our husband and we're like, hey, you're supposed to provide. You're supposed to protect. These are things. And so we look to our spouse to meet the needs, to, to meet our, our rights, right? And what happens is oftentimes in marriage, we think it's 50-50. Marriage is a 50-50 deal. You give, you give your 50 and I give my 50, Right? You do your part, and as long as you do your part, if you, if you provide for me and take care of me, then I'll give in and do my part. Again, that's because we're focusing on our rights. I want what I deserve. This is what I'm supposed to get from this. It's about me, and as long as I'm getting what I want, then I'll give what you want. I'll do your part. Now, this is not the way that God calls us to live as Christians. Philippians 2, which is my favorite passage in the entire scriptures, it says in verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition, which means we're not to have this selfish motivation, but rather in humility, we count others more significant than ourselves. In other words, what, what, what God calls us to do as Christians is not to be concerned with our rights, what we deserve, what we want. No, our focus is to be on other people. To, to, to prioritize them above ourselves, consider them more significant than ourself. So let me, let me just say, as you think about 2023 and you're like, man, I really need to improve my marriage, I need to improve my family, my relationships, listen, here's the key for you. Stop focusing on yourself. Stop focusing on your wants, on your rights, on your needs, and instead focus on what God is asking you to do, which is to focus on your responsibilities. And I'll tell you what, I believe in this principle. I believe so wholeheartedly that I would say that I think if we would be a people that prioritize our responsibilities rather than our rights, I think that that's the power that God can use to totally change our marriages, to change our families, to build a foundation for generations to come after us.
So that's what the message is all about. Focus on your responsibilities rather than your rights. The question then becomes, what are our responsibilities? Well, Ephesians 5 uh, is a passage that Jake, Pastor Jake read for us this morning. And uh, we're going to start looking at men. Now, I want you to notice in this passage of Scripture, the Apostle Paul spends twice as much space talking to the men as he does to the women. Now, why is that? Is that because men are slow? Yes, we are. But also because it's really significant that we understand the role of a man. See, in God's design for marriage, and this is not the way the culture says, this is the way that God designed marriage, is men, we are to be the spiritual leaders of our families. Ladies, hear me, this is not a value thing. This is not because men are better. This is simply the structure that God provided for marriage. Now, I know for, for, for thousands of years that this idea that, that men are the spiritual leaders has been abused by men who are egotistical and arrogant and domineering and, and, and commanding. I recognize that. But just because some men have abused it doesn't mean it's not the biblical definition that God has given us. So I want to start by looking at the men, and I want to set the standard, set, set the record straight for the way that men are supposed to lead. In fact, a man's first response, here's a man's first responsibility. Here's what is, uh, our first responsibility is to sacrifice. This is Ephesians 5, verse 25. This is what it says. Husbands, you are to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, men, we read that verse and we, we see the word love. We're like, great. That means I need to be thoughtful every once in a while and bring my wife some flowers. And there, I've loved her. I've done my part. I'm good. Or we see this idea that it says we're to give ourselves up for her. And so we think, well, of course, if we're walking down the street and there comes a runaway bus, of course, I would step in front of the bus and push her out of the way. I'm, I'm brave and a hero like that. Of course, I would do those things. Listen, that's not exactly what this verse is talking about. There's more to it. You see, this word love in verse 25 is the word agape. This is the same word that uh, Jesus used in John 3.16 that says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And so this love that, that God is calling men to exhibit is a self-giving love. It is a love that completely pours itself out for someone else. Man, this is a responsibility for you in your marriage, in your family. A love that, that gives itself away like Christ loved the church. And how did Christ love the church? By dying for her. By sacrificing his life for the church. Jesus put the church's interest above his own. He was more concerned about the church and us than he was about himself. Listen, men, that is how you are to lead your families with a love that is completely self-sacrificing for our wives, which means we put our wives above ourselves. We die to ourself in order to serve our spouse. In fact, C.S. Lewis said this. He said, the husband that embodies this verse, his marriage will feel like a crucifixion. Now, that's a pretty gruesome idea. But I want you to understand what the crucifixion, the, the picture behind it. 
Jesus on the cross was, was God saying, I love you this much. I'm willing to give up what's most important to me to love you, to serve you. Men, that is how we are to lead our families, by putting their interests above our own, by, by sacrificing what we hold dear to serve and to love and to give to them. It's all about sacrifices. I mean, think about this. Where was Jesus before he came to the earth? He was in heaven, right? Jesus was in heaven. He chose to leave heaven and come down to a stable. This is what Jesus did. In heaven, he came down to a stable. See, men, we think we have this kingdom. We think we're we're the kings of our kingdom. No, what God is calling us to do as men is to leave our kingdom and come down to our family stable. Which means, men, some of us, We need to leave our Cabela's and our Buffalo Wild Wings. We need to get off the couch and stop watching football. And we need to go to our wife's stable, which means we're going to TJ Maxx and Target. And we're looking at decorative pillows and smelly stuff. This is what it looks like to to leave our kingdom and to come to the stable to love our wife. Now, I know men, men, we think we're the kings of our kingdom. We think we've got a throne. Listen, men, you do have a throne. It's made of porcelain. You've got to remember to put the seat down when you're done. This is, this is the call that God has for men. To give ourselves away for our wives. Men, very practically, this is what it means. Men, you are the first person to apologize, even when it's her fault. You're the first one to say, I'm sorry for what I did, even when she is at wrong. Men, this means you are the first to give up your preference for your spouse. You may love Buffalo Wild Wings. Chances are you're going to be going to White House Cafe instead. This is what it looks like to to put her preferences above your own. Men, that means if your wife hates uh, cleaning toilets or mopping floors, guess what? It's not about you. You get to serve and sacrifice for your spouse. Now, we're going to get to this in a minute, where Scripture calls wives to submit. And men, we love to harp on that. Let me tell you what. Men, women do not like to submit to a dictator. But I would say, I would guess that most women would gladly submit to a husband who 100% of the time puts his wife's needs above his own. Think about that. Man's second responsibility, first, is to sacrifice. His second responsibility is to love. Verse 28, here's what Paul says. He says, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and cherishes it. And verse 33, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Listen, in these few verses, men are commanded five times. Five times to love their wives. And and let's be clear, love is not a feeling. Love is not just a feeling. It is an action. It is a a choice. You show you love by how you serve your spouse, by how you speak to your spouse, by how you give to your spouse. Man, we're called to love. And here's the key to this idea of love, is this love is supposed to be an unselfish love. 
This love is supposed to be like Jesus. And again, I go back to the world's definition of love. Love is, is, is I'll love you based on how you love me. You know, I'll treat you nice, and I'll do nice things for you if you do nice things for, for me. Because there's always a string attached. In fact, men, when you step in to start doing something around the house, how many times are you doing it because there are strings attached to it? Oh, sure, honey. I'll mop the floor as long as we can have some playtime later. Oh, oh, sure, honey. Sure, honey. I'll, we'll go to your restaurant tonight as long as tomorrow I can go watch the game with the guys. Because we, we, we do, we, we give in order to get. Okay? Listen, men, your responsibility is to love not based on what you're going to get in return. You are called to love not on the basis of how your wife returns the favor. And here's one of those things, men, I want you to hear this. Men, you are not to make your wives and your children and your families earn your love. You hear that? You're not to make them earn your love. You are to show them love even when they don't deserve it. You, can, you are expected to love them and not expect anything in return. And you're like, well, why? That sounds incredibly difficult. And again, this is where we've got to grasp that the marriage and the wedding is a picture of the gospel message. Do you understand how that works? See, when I go to a wedding, it's great to stand up at the front. I got to stand up at the front, and, 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 and here's the groom here. And what happens in every wedding? They start playing the music, and the bride starts walking down the aisle, and everybody turns and looks at the bride, and they're like, oh my gosh, she's so beautiful. That gown, she's got her hair done up, and she's got her makeup, and she looks, she looks amazing. That's a beautiful picture, right? But in the gospel message, Jesus is the groom. He's standing at the altar, and he's looking down the aisle, and you and I are the bride. But guess what? We don't look all done up. We don't got that pretty gown on. Our hair's not done. No, you and I, when we come to Jesus, we are ugly and scarred and deformed. We are sold completely to sin. I mean, if you could be at that wedding, you'd look down the aisle and be like, oh my gosh, I'd run away if I was you. But that's not what Jesus did. He, didn't, he, he chose not to run away from the altar when he saw us coming with our sin and our bent towards rebellion. He chose to love us anyways. He chose to serve us. He chose to sacrifice for us, even though we weren't worthy. Jesus looked at us and said, yeah, you're not not lovely, but I'm going to choose to make you lovely because of my love. Men, that is a picture of how we love our families. That even when our spouse and our kids, even when they're ugly, and bitter, and undeserving, and can't do anything in return for us, that is when our love has got to be the strongest. Men, your responsibility, let's make sure we get this clear, is to sacrifice and to love your spouse. Ladies, your first responsibility is to submit. I just making sure no one's going to throw any eggs or anything at me. Eggs are too expensive. Potatoes. Potatoes are cheap. All right, here's, here, here's God's word. Ephesians 5:22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. The husband is ahead of the wife, even as Christ is ahead of the church, 
And as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands. Now let me just say, that word submit is an incredibly fearful word. None of us like this idea of submitting. But I want to be clear, because we think submitting is, is, makes us less valuable. That's not the case. When God made man and woman, he made us equal. Men and women, we are both created in the image of God. Okay, we're created equal. But it's kind of like, it's kind of like, like we, have a, we have a right hand and a left hand. Okay? My hands, not one of them is better than the other. They're different. They have different purposes, different needs. I need them both. If I lose one, I'm pretty dumb without it. Right? We need both. They're equal. But they have different purposes, different roles, different functions, but they're both vital and important. So this word submit, it's not a matter of value. Ladies, you are incredibly valuable, more valuable than I can speak. You are more, more than capable. Submitting doesn't mean blind obedience. Let's step back for a second. Again, let's remember the responsibility that God gave husbands as the spiritual leaders of their families. Why does God call them to be the spiritual leader? Well, Ephesians 5.26 tells us. He says, So that, husbands, so that you may sanctify your wife, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. See, husbands, our job is to lead our wives and lead our families to a better place. We lead them to get better. We lead them to be more like Jesus. We lead them lead them so their lives are better. Man, that's what we're called to do. And so this biblical definition for submit means to yield to the love and the edification that an authority has for you. Ladies, submitting means you are trusting your spouse to lead you to a better place. To submit means you, you humbly receive their love and the sacrifice of your husband, believing that God is at work through him. Listen, ladies, that means at times you're going to have to surrender your ambitions, surrender your wants in order to follow your husband. Because if you only submit to your husband when you agree, that's not submission, that's agreement. You're simply agreeing. Submission implies there are times that you're not going to agree with what your husband does, but you are choosing, you are choosing to trust that God is at work in him, and he is leading you to a better place. And again, this idea of submission is it's a picture of the church. It's really a picture of the church. It is a picture of us trusting God to accomplish what only he can do on the cross. But think about this. Like, how do you become a Christian? We don't become a Christian by being a better person. You don't become a Christian by memorizing Bible verses or singing some worship songs or, or serving some poor people. And, and do, like, like you don't become a Christian by doing stuff. How do we become a Christian? Simply by trusting what Jesus has done for us. We become a Christian by submitting ourselves to him and allow him to serve us through his sacrifice on the cross. Listen, that is the picture of submission, that we are allowing our husband to serve us, to sacrifice for us, believing that God is at work in him to lead us to a better place. I'm so, anybody sweaty? That might just be a me thing. 
Uh, Wives, your second responsibility is to respect. Ephesians 5.33 says, Let each, taking to the husbands, let each of you love your wife as as yourself. And to the wives, he said, let the wife see that she respects her husband. Ladies, do you know what your husband's greatest need is? It is not physical intimacy. It is not love. Your husband's greatest need is respect. Do you understand that? A man's life will not be defined by what he's achieved, will not be defined by how much love he's received. His life will be defined by the amount of respect that he has earned. Now, men, we're idiots, right? Can we all be in a group? We do dumb stuff, okay? That's what men do. Uh, men, we're not going to love like we're supposed to. Wives, you know that. We're not going to, uh, we're, we're going to fail to sacrifice the way that we're supposed to. We're not going to always lead the way that we are supposed to. But ladies, when you respect your husband, giving your husband respect doesn't mean that you ignore his flaws. Men, we've got lots of them. But ladies, when you choose to respect your husband, it means your focus isn't primarily on the flaws. That when you respect, it is like love. It is a choice. It is saying, I am choosing to notice what's good in you. I am choosing to give you honor and to esteem you and to praise you and to admire you. Your respect tells your husband, listen, I I believe in you. I believe that God is working in you. I believe that God is going to make you all that God calls you to be. Listen, ladies, that is what your respect tells your husband. Ladies, you've got to have a perseverance to continue to show respect through your words, your demeanor, and your actions. And I can't stress this enough because, ladies, oftentimes it's your respect that God uses to make your husband be the man that he is supposed to be. We think, oh, I'm going to change my husband. I see all those flaws in him. If he would just do what I tell him to do, he'd be the greatest man ever. Listen, listen. You want to see change in your husband? It's not going to come because you nag him. In fact, uh, uh, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, he had some wisdom about marriage, right? He had 300 wives. He knew a thing or two about marriage. Do you know, several different times in the book of Proverbs, he talks about, ladies, don't nag your husbands to death. He actually says in Proverbs that a nagging wife is kind of like, it's kinda like uh, the, 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 a roof that has a leak in it. And you hear, bit, drip, drip. Drip. And you know how annoying that sound is? Just constantly, dah, 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 and you're like, I can't handle this. Solomon says that is what a nagging wife is like. Ladies, you want to see your husband be better? Show him through your respect. It is often what God uses to change him. In fact, here's another little nugget for you as far as respect. Ladies, you set the pattern for how your husband will be respected. Do you realize that? You set the pattern for how your husband is respected because the way that you respect or don't respect your husband, that's going to be emulated by your kids. That's going to be emulated by your in-laws. That's the way it works. In fact, you might go to a friend and you say, oh, I'm going to complain about my husband. I'm going to, let me tell you all the bad things my husband does. Listen, ladies, guess what? Chances are you'll get over it. But when you complain about your husband to someone else, chances are they don't. 
They don't see those good things. They just know oh, all she does is complain about him. Here's what it is. Here's our responsibilities. Men, your responsibility is to sacrifice for your spouse, to love your wife and not expect anything in return. Ladies, your responsibility is to submit to your spouse and to respect him. Now, I recognize we hear that today and we're like, that is so countercultural. Our world, we've progressed beyond that. Our cultural, listen, and I know some of you are sitting in your, in, in your seat today and you're like, man, pastor, like, huh, my husband is not worthy of respect. You don't even know the things he's done. Men, you're like, my wife, she is so hard to love. She's just, she's like hugging a, a, a porcupine. It's terrible. Listen, be careful buying into the cultural philosophy of marriage. Because again, a reminder, marriage is not a man-made institution. Our cultural says, our culture says your marriage is all about your happiness. Listen, God's concern is not your happiness. His concern is your holiness. And God uses our marriages to make us holy, to make us better, to make us be who we're supposed to be, to make us more like Jesus. And as we sit here, and we're all wanting that good life. We want abundance and fulfillment and all those things. Listen, it doesn't come from our spouse or from our kids. It comes as we seek God first and foremost, and we trust his plan and his purposes. So as we start this new year, and as many of us are in this season of, hey, I want to focus on my marriage, on my relationships, on my family. Listen, I believe that God wants to do some beautiful things, and I believe there will be fruitfulness when we choose to prioritize our responsibilities rather than our rights. I believe there is tremendous power in this to transform your marriage, to reshape your family, to be a foundation for generations to come. We've spent most of our time, a couple, three things, three quick things for application. Uh, first to the men, and then we'll give an application to the women, and then we'll give an application to everybody, whether you are married or not. Husbands, your application, as you are to sacrifice and to love your spouse. Here's your challenge. Men, I want you this week to outserve your wife. Completely go all out and outserve your wife. That means I want you to do the dishes and the laundry. Uh, uh, men, you know the honeydew, honeydew list that your wife has had for like three years? In my house, it's actually been a lot longer than that. I want you to pull the honeydew list out and start getting some things checked off that list. Just do go all out, all out in serving your spouse. In fact, here's one of the things you might do this week. Men, husbands, what if you were the first one out of bed in the morning and the last one in bed? When I say you're the first one out of bed, hey, here's the way it works at my house. The first one out of bed has to be the one who makes the coffee, who takes the dog out, who does those things. Men, why don't you be the one to outserve your wife to get up first and to make the coffee, take the dog out, to give your wife a few extra minutes? and be the last one to go to bed. Now, in my house, we've got teenagers. And it's dumb because they stay up later than I do. I don't like that anymore. I liked it easier when I could just put the kids to bed and then, oh, we're great. But being the last one to bed means, husbands, you need to make sure you've got the kids figured out. You've got their plans figured out. You know when they're going to bed. You know what they've got going on. You need to be the last one to make sure, hey, is the house picked up? Or is the kitchen clean enough? Is the coffee ready for tomorrow? 
Like men, outserve your wife. And let me be bold. Men, if you're like, man, ah, sure, I can do that. This week, today, ask your spouse, hey, what could I do to serve you better? That's a bold statement. That's a fearful statement. Ask your spouse, what could I do to serve you better? Be willing to listen to it. Be willing to adapt to it. Men, here's what I'll say for you. I think if you outserve your wife without grumbling, without expecting anything in return, I think you'll be able to watch and see as God does tremendous things in your marriage and in your own life. I believe it will lead you to fruitfulness. Men, your challenge is to outserve your wife this week. Ladies, your challenge is to be expressive in your respect for your husband. I didn't know how to say this, so I said be expressive. When I say be expressive, I mean through your words, through your demeanor, and through your actions. Show your husband that you respect him. Again, stop trying to change him and tell him all the things he needs to do different. You didn't marry a fixer-upper, okay? You've got to prioritize and persevere in telling your husband and showing your husband, I believe in you. I'm noticing the efforts that you're trying to make. Ladies, tell your husband, I trust you. I believe in you. Show him that you believe in him. Men, outserve your spouse. Ladies, be expressive in your respect. And here's for everybody. Again, this has been a heavy emphasis today on, on marriage and family relationship. But again, I think these principles, focusing on our, on, not on our rights, but on our responsibilities, these extend beyond just the marriage relationship. They become a foundation for how we as Christians are called to live. And so this week, here's everybody's responsibility. Here's everybody's challenge. It's to focus on your responsibilities rather than your rights. It's everybody's challenge. Focus on your responsibilities rather than your rights. Don't focus on what's owed to you. Don't focus on what you think you deserve. Don't focus on the way that others treat you. Now focus on what God expects you to do. That Philippians 2 example. Consider others above ourselves, which means at work. Listen, you might work for a jerk. You might have a boss who's just, you know, he, he's, a, he's, he's just, he, uh, he's a real character. You might, you might think, well, I deserve a raise. I deserve appreciation. I deserve a corner office. I deserve just a simple thank you. Listen, that might be true. That might be absolutely true. But imagine what God could do if you chose to excel at your responsibilities in the midst of that. To focus on I'm going to be the best that I can be. I'm going to do what God's called me to do despite anybody else. What could God do with that? I think about kids. Kids, oftentimes you're like, man, my parents are ridiculous. Right? They don't understand what it's like to grow up in these days. And any parent ever heard that? Your kid's like, oh, they don't understand what it's like to be a kid in today's day. They don't understand this sort of things. Our, parent, our kids, they see all of our flaws. And so kids are like, man, I don't have to obey my parents. They don't understand. I don't have to respect my parents. They're not worthy of my respect. Listen, kids, God calls you to more. 
God will hold you responsible for your end of the deal. It's whether you fulfill your responsibilities or not, regardless of your parents. Listen, whatever relationship it is this week, when we prioritize our responsibilities rather than our rights, listen, this is what God uses to transform environments. God could transform your workplace, your your, your home life, your school, different things, if we live this principle out, which is why God calls us as Christians to look different than the world, to be people who aren't concerned with us and what we want and what we deserve to be focused on others first and foremost. So here's how we're going to close. Listen, this morning, if you are sitting next to your spouse, my invitation to you. Take your spouse by the hand right now. And I want you to have a couple minutes today during this response time. With your spouse, just pray together. Pray in light of Ephesians 5. Which means some of you today, as you sit next to your spouse, some of you need to repent. I'm sorry, honey. I haven't done these things. Some of you need to pray and promise together before God, hey, let's do these things. Let's love one another. Let's respect one another. Let's live these things out. Kids, students, why don't you pray for your parents today? Pray that their marriage would be a good picture the way that God loves us. The rest of you in this room, man, would you pray for the marriages around you? Would you pray that God would strengthen them? and help us to live these things out, would you pray for your future spouse? And if you're here today, and oftentimes you go through a message like this and it uncovers a little bit of hurt and pain, then I recognize that. But you know, I'm praying for you. I do believe that as we prioritize our responsibilities rather than our rights, God will use to transform our relationships. That's what I'm praying for us this week. Let's pray right now.